0: Hi, you're about to listen to an episode of Borough Talks, a podcast from Borough Market. A very, very warm welcome to you. We're going to be bringing you a series of conversations around food and food culture with some inspiring guests and leading voices from the food industry. I'm your host, Angela Clutton. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Borough Talks. And if you do, you can subscribe for more from us. Hi, everybody, and very warm welcome to Borough Talks, which is Borough Markets podcast. I'm Angela, and uh, we are here today with Sam Wallace, who runs, I'm not sure I can say this, obviously I love all the stalls equally at the market, but I am going to say there is one stall that I have a special little sort of flutter in my tummy whenever I go into, and it is Sam. From Field & Flower. Specialising in all things honey. Yes. And I was thinking earlier... Why do I love walking into From fields and Flower so much? Because I really do. I really find it such an exciting stall to walk into. And obviously I'm joking, you know, all, there are so many stalls at the market you could say that about. But there's so something about going into From Field and Flower, which really is very exciting. It's, you have all these wonderful products set out so beautifully. It's so welcoming. It's always a gorgeous kind of, you know, smile and hello. And would you like to try some honey kind of coming at you? But Sam, let's kick off with you giving our audience just a little bit of background about you about from Fields and Flower and kind of how this came to be what you do. Well, um, thank you very much,
1: firstly, for all those lovely things that you've said, um, because we, that's what we were aiming for, I suppose. Um, and I suppose a little about me. Well, I don't come from a, a business background at all. I don't even come from a honey background or particularly a food background. I actually come from a kind of fairly standard, dull corporate career in communications, okay. um, having studied photography at university and obviously failed to do anything meaningful with that. Um, but I've Basically, previous to running this business, I had no experience of running a business whatsoever um, and worked in corporates. Um, what and made then, you take the job? Well... If well, well, it's my Tell husband's fault. It's my husband's fault. Okay. Um, so, my husband is Italian, and the cliche about Italians and food and knowing their food and just taking for granted perhaps what we might find more special um, and unusual over here um, is true. So, he was quite into honey in the sense of, you know, everyday food stuff, not particularly special to him uh, in a notable way, but was used to far more kind of different varieties and, you know, the Way, the idea that you would have different honeys for different occasions or to pair with different And foods. that was just
0: what he grown up
1: yes so was he from Italy he is So, he's from Piemonte which is in the north and is actually he was telling me proudly one of the biggest honey producing regions in Italy I think it's responsible for the bulk of their sort of honey production basically um and so he you know it was a normal thing for him store cupboard ingredient like for most people but in that kind of I guess different from English way um in that Italian culture did he work in food He has always worked in food, pretty much since coming to the UK 20 years ago now. He's been pretty much around food. So he worked for companies in the borough market. Donkeys years ago. So he used to work for places like Gastronomica. Um, oh gosh, he worked for one of the fishmongers for a few years. Then he's worked at sites around the market to do with food, so um, gourmet sausages, that kind of thing, and has always been quite entrepreneurial. So always wanted to start his own thing um, and had said, Oh, you know, I'm in Borough Market and nobody does honey, mm-hmm. you know, proper honey. And I, kind of, sadly, a bit embarrassingly, I have to say, sort of turned around and went, well, you know, it's not that, that many types of honey, is there? I mean, I like Greek honey from my family when I go to Greece, and English honey is just English honey, isn't it? <laughs> you know, that kind of like, isn't it? Yeah." Um, and somewhat scoffed at his idea. And then as it happened, uh, we were in Italy visiting his family up in Piemonte. His dad happened to have um, some honey around, and, and, and they're very commonly you serve it with cheeses always a winner um, so you've got that sweet and savoury wonderfulness um, and then it just so happened as it's always the way it seems to be with these things is that some beekeepers approached Stefano's father some months later because yeah. roughly what year are we talking about? Oh this is going to be 2013 okay 2013 yes 2013 because the beekeepers approached Stefano's father who had some unused land Um, he used to run a quarry they rewild the quarries after they'd been used and the beekeepers wanted to put their um, beehives up there uh, for forage for their bees and it just so happened that um, Stefano's father was like oh my son's quite interested in in starting something with honey in London maybe and and kind of gave us the details of this family and this family long and short of it um, have high all over Piemonte and um, produce um, essentially exceptional honey but all of different varieties from different flowers um, which is already so different from what we do here in the UK in the main and um, and so we tried some and I have to say it just it blew
0: my mind. So it's 2013 when you started started it okay. Yeah. and when did you land at Borough Market
1: well 2014 okay we got super lucky so we started it I was still working in my day job and this was going to be my husband's kind of um, business to start with and then maybe one day we would work together um, and so we started off in a very small way um, literally with a, a van and some honey from Italy and um, a very cold market stall up in Hackney in Chatsworth Road was one of our first markets in yeah. 2013 on the Sunday And I think we did another one in Archway on a Saturday, once a month, you know, that kind of thing, Uh, and really started very cheaply, very, very, very small scale. Um, And then, but because of, I guess, Stefano's love of Borough Market, our love of Borough Market, so we'd always hung around Borough Market, socially, a lot of our friends are traders, especially through Stefano's years of working there, and people who come to Borough Market regularly, or perhaps pass through, will perhaps notice there is a kind of sense of community between the traders. We do all know each other quite often. We all get on and um, in certain cases are very, very close. Um, So we were kind of always around Borough. And his point about there being no real honey um, stall at Borough um, came back up. So we were sort of hoping to get into Borough. Um, As we know, Borough market is incredible. And we kind of thought it might not happen and might not happen for
0: years because at that stage there was a waiting list. I think it's worth taking a moment to... um not in huge detail but to kind of explain to listeners that it's quite difficult to become a trader yes. At a Market. yes you know, they are fabulously discerning yes. which is why you can kind of rely that your experience shopping is going to be a really really exciting one and with you know, things that have really really good provenance because it's not just rock up put your money down and there you go start selling it's Absolutely not. So we're not going to go into over-detail about it. But so you must have been really chuffed. Oh, completely. Yeah, completely. We did a Basically, you you
1: apply online. So you talk about yourself, your business. And essentially, if they like the sound of it, they think they might have a gap. Somebody gives you a call. And at that time, someone gave us a call. And we were very honest that we were just starting. Um, And genuinely, they were so supportive because of the criteria of Borough Market. And rightly so of, you know, quality provenance. Um, You know, are you passionate about it? You're not just coming up to sell, you know, any old thing that you found on, on the kind of side of the road on yeah, the cheap yeah, and give it yeah. a go. It's not that kind of market, but equally, it's really accessible. So I have to say they were so warm and welcoming to us who were complete stall novices, market novices in that way. Certainly me, business novice, massively. Um,
0: so- I'm sure there was real excitement about having Honey there. Let's get into... Into honey. Yes. Um, so we can kind of you know, build a picture of how you and know, you, from Field and Flower, which is a gorgeous name, um, you know, ends up at the market. But I think, Sam, maybe for my benefit, possibly more than some of the listeners who may know more about honey than I do. Um, I'd like to really kind of drill into just some of the basics mm, of absolutely. honey rather than assume that people r- really kind of know what we're yes. talking about. Um, so I'm really interested to understand for the kind of honey that you sell, and we're going to delve into unpicking what that sentence means because not not all honey is equal for the kind of honey you sell what is the production process i suppose from the beehive to ending up in a jar a field and flower how what is involved in that process so essentially, well, essentially it is um, taken from the hive. So the the honeycomb is filled
1: with honey. And you've got to imagine that has been capped by the bees with wax. So you've got very heavy honey-filled uh, uh, combs. They are put in something called a centrifuge and a spun. When you spin uh, the combs, it essentially extracts all the honey out. Um, is that and- quick? well it depends so because we do things slowly and without heat treatment the honey stays very thick so it takes time it can take i would say our beekeepers several weeks to extract all the honey from their hives um but you do have to remember that um it takes a lot of bees to make honey so there may be a lot of hives and you may get a really generous bounty of honey from them but to kind of make that into bottles that you can effectively sell and have enough to sell requires quite a lot um so if you think about it, it's quite quite a long process, especially if you're not heating it, because heating means it stays really thick and gunky and gooey. Um, and essentially, that honey all runs out of the centrifuge into a large bucket, um, and it's then lightly, lightly filtered. And essentially, the filtering, all of that does is take out bits of unprocessed uh, pollen. You'll get bits of tiny little bits of leaf and dust and bits of po- uh, flower stem, maybe, that haven't been processed, and they won't do you any harm, um, and honey's a natural preservative and antiseptic anyway but aesthetically texturally not everybody would like that um, and then essentially after that it's bottled and that again takes its time because it's all th- thick and gunky um, and essentially once it's bottled it's
0: sealed the jar is sealed and that's it I just love that sound the simplicity yes of that because again yeah we are going to drill into more industrialised honeys and how they happen and, and to sort of really try and kind of get into this difference because what you've just described is basically beehive centrifuge to get it out yes Strain it, bottle it, sell it, love it. Yes. And some honeys
1: aren't even actually uh go through the centrifuge because they're so thick, is they're actually what's called a pressed honey. So that's where you get the comb and the honey all together and they're just lightly pushed together, so they become one effectively, and then that is jarred. And that's with speciality honeys quite often like heather, which is extremely thick, very hard to extract. So they they're they're pressed effectively. So they're sometimes even simpler than that. And if you get the honeycomb, it's just the comb cut from the hive. You can eat all the wax you can eat everything about it there's zero waste literally in that way
0: it's, i say is that, that directness of hive to jar yes. is just so exciting
1: yes it is, it's wonderful every season it's exciting and because i guess some people don't realize it is a seasonal product
0: literally what i was just about to ask you <laughs> but i was a little nervous of seeming really thick about honey because i was just about to ask you about the seasonality of Well, so it all depends where
1: you are, obviously, uh, geographically. So if you're in a massively tropical climate where you don't have a traditionally very cold or wet or effectively lifeless season like a winter that we would have here, you can have a much longer season. But if we talk, I guess, about Europe, including us, um, the bees are effectively relying on flowers for their pollen and nectar. It's really important to say that not all bees make honey either. And not all flowers are good for honeybees or even other pollinators. Um, So it's not that every flower you see is going to be pollinated uh, by a honeybee or necessarily even a bee species Um, but the bees will collect the the pollen and nectar from certain species there are a lot of them so don't worry it's not that they're going short Um, but they can only do that when the flowers are in peak time so that's traditionally the summer months and depending on where you are how your season's gone what kind of honey you're producing you usually get a kind of early summer yield I would say around July something like that and then you can do if you're very lucky you have a second yield around September October before the season ends and will
0: the second yield honey taste different from the first yield honey it's
1: highly likely yes unless they're on a kind of um, monofloral honey so unless they're making something like lavender and perhaps they are bees that are working with a farm to help that farm produce its lavender crop and you've got a constantly flowering crop of lavender for say five months um, then that will taste the same because it's the same flower source but where the bees are foraging in the wild or being um, allowed to just wonder what's in in season at that time it will change completely. Um, Quite often you find the lighter honeys are from the lighter uh, months of the year so April to sort of June and the stronger flavours of honey things like chestnut blossom etc tend to happen later uh, in the season but usually the last of the Season is around October. And then it's really the beekeeper's call of, you know, how much honey should we leave on for the bees over winter? Because it's really important that that's their um, food source because bees don't die over winter, they hibernate um, and they use the stores that they have left, which is why they make so much to survive. So it's very important that things are done in balance and not over harvested. So some seasons we get a bounty and can have wonderful weather and have lots and lots of honey. And other seasons we can have very little or absolutely nothing um, of that particular varietal or from that particular location it's all really really weather dependent.
0: Yeah so fascinating you've talked about a couple of different varieties of honey Um, monovarietals varietals, you single varieties um, and for anyone listening who hasn't yet been to Field and Flower at the market, or if you have, you'll know exactly what I'm just about to talk about, that you go in and around the counter is this wonderful sort of lineup, really, of all these honeys. You know, it starts at one end with the lightest and runs its way through into the end. And you can do you can do a tasting, can't you? Yes, absolutely. Of, of, of them as you go along. Um, and that really allows you to understand the flavour differences at the very lightest end to the very heaviest end. Sam, can you give us a couple of examples of the honeys at those ends of the spectrum? Sure. Um, Well, I suppose for most people, you might think, oh, well, why does honey taste different?
1: It is all about the flower that the bees are um, pollinating or collecting from, effectively. So the bees are the ones that turn that nectar and pollen into the substance of honey. And by mixing uh, the pollen and nectar with their own juices and enzymes, they're creating sugars and those chemical reactions that create the the thick viscousness of honey. Uh, But it's the flower that's the star of the show. Um, So for us, we have as... uh, You've said a kind of honey-tasting bar, if you will. Tasting bar, love that. Takes you through love the whole that. range, okay. And at very, you know, at the least, you'll get a little bit of a sugar kick, and at the <laughs> most, hopefully, you you get an appreciation of how different they can be because it's a bit like cheeses, or a bit like wines, or a bit like different fruits. You have a complete. Gamut of tastes. How Ooh. many
0: are on your tasting bar, roughly? Oh,
1: it varies. I would say on a bad season, uh, which always is a bit depressing, we've got about 10. On a good season, which is my happy place, I would say we're about 17. Um, and then if we get into kind of blends of things, um, you know, we could probably get you up to about 20. Uh, so yeah, we are we are primed. Um, so what does someone start with? What's the lightest? Well, extent? generally speaking, we start with something very light, which is called an acacia. Our acacia comes from Piemonte, but although it grows all around the world, so there'll be varieties of acacia you'll find in South Africa, here in the UK, in America. But the one that we are um, basically having the honey from is uh, from Piemonte. It's extremely light. So generally speaking, a good rule of thumb of when you're looking at honeys, you can't really taste them. Is the lighter the colour in the jar the more translucent it is, the more yellow straw colour it is, the lighter in flavour it will be basically, the more delicate. So it won't have a strong initial taste. It's usually quite soft and sweet and it may develop some flavour, but it's not going to last for a long time on your mouth basically. It's not going to linger. And acacia is a classic honey in that way. It's very mild, tastes actually very sweet, but has some of the least um, amounts of natural sugar in it. And it's very neutral. It's not floral. So it's almost just gently sweet. Um, Think of Almost like a sugar alternative, if you wanted to sweeten something without adding flavour. Um, and I guess, I guess, I think sometimes people think that all honey is very floral, and that's not necessarily true. So although the the source is often flowers although you can also get honeys that come from saps, which is a whole other um, idea. But um, essentially, if we go with the main idea that m- most honeys come from flowers, not all honeys are actually floral, and acacia is an example of that. And then essentially, you can kind of gradate your honeys almost fractionally, um, almost as if you were doing a wine tasting, so you can have tiny nuances of difference. Uh, but effectively for us, we move on to uh, wildflower honey, which is from Devon, and is a typical wildflower honey that you would find here from England It's made in North Devon By a lovely family Who've been in beekeeping For many years And the bees are just Foraging on wildflowers All through the season From basically April Till September That kind of time And it's whatever They're picking up So that can be Thousands of different flowers In the early season Oh you've got anything From kind of um, Oh let me think Dandelions A little bit of Early season If you're very lucky Lavender, rose things The flavour like that.
0: of that one Must really change
1: It does yeah. so batch you get, to batch always. yeah so as you get a later season so it, take, remember, it takes bees quite a while to make honey so they're literally busy now busy as bees uh, but we won't get that batch until we're coming into May so if we're lucky we might see something at the end of June they might be about ready and then hopefully again in the end of you know September but we've had years where we've only had one harvest in say July and that's
0: been it effectively um, so what's a good an example of a kind of mid Spectrum. Oh,
1: a mid-spectrum and a classic, I would say, is a lavender. Um, Lavender is... That's my go-to. Yes, it's a really interesting honey. And a lot of people think that it can be very floral. And again, it just depends where it's from. So some of the Southern French lavenders, which are the classic honeys, I suppose, that might come into mind from the Provence region, are very floral um, in smell and in taste and sweet. Others, depending where they're from, are drier, cooler, a bit crisper. But that kind of mid flavor it's usually an amber colour, a dark con- kind of conca colour, um, lavender honey, and that kind of indicates a mid-flavour, basically. Okay. Um, and then if you were to move into something stronger. Let's go for chestnut. I'm going to make you talk about chestnut. Oh, the chestnut. Well, the chestnut's the strongest. So chestnut... Chestnut is nuts, isn't it? It is nuts, and ours is particularly nuts. So chestnut honey is a very, very dark uh, colour, which indicates the strength of its Mm. flavour, so it's a good indicator. Chestnut predominantly is always uh, a very rich flavour. Woody, nutty, smoky, yes, sweet sometimes almost bitter on the finish. Uh, We give people uh, tastings without anything. So without any bread, any crackers, anything like that, we're pretty purist about it because we think it's really important that people kind of taste it, the fullness of it, and then learn that when you are putting on something like a nice bit of toast, you're going to lose some of those flavors and therefore, you know, what to match it with basically. But with chestnut, on its own, it's incredibly strong. And ours is particularly strong. So they're always strong. doesn't matter if it's from Spain, from Italy, from France. Uh, they will always be a strong, woody, nutty flavour. But our one is blow your socks off strong. It's, I would say burnt toffee is the kind of flavour. Really and the most amazing colour. Yes, really rich brown. Um, goes beautifully with things like rye breads, gorgonzola cheeses, that kind of thing. Strongly medicinal in sort of um, people's association. And certainly Stefano, my other half, his nonna, his grandmother, used to give it to him. If, you know, hint of a cold, complaint of a sore throat, it was spoons of chestnut honey right. all the way. Um, so it's very much associated with medicinal yeah. uh, purposes with, uh, I think, Italian people.
0: And all of these honeys are raw honeys. Let's get into that. Yes. If you only sell raw. Only. Which means unpasteurized. It which does. Means Means what, So it basically
1: means it hasn't been heat treated. Honey in itself is a natural preservative. It's full of natural sugars, which creates that uh, preservative um, effect. Very low in water, so it doesn't mould or ferment. Um, it's also antiseptic and antibacterial, so it will kill bacterias effectively. Um, and it promotes the living of good bacterias, which it has inside it, including things like trace minerals, vitamins... Enzymes that if you are having honey regularly as part of your diet is thought to be beneficial for your immune system but also thought to be helpful for things, anything from headaches to joint pain. Um, But the crucial thing about raw is not only preserving all of that kind of integrity of its product is that you don't need to heat it up to make it safe. It's perfectly safe as it is. So it's not one of those products that needs to be sterilized before you can consume it. It's purely heated ever for basically for convenience. Honey, by itself. itself is sticky and thick and hard to handle. And when you're trying to bottle it, um, trying to bottle it at speed or at least at a speed that encourages some sort of sense of having a little business. So I'm talking very small amounts, not the kind of um, Nestle or Kellogg's levels of production that you might think of. Um, It's very hard to work with effectively. It takes time, uh, which is not necessarily very efficient. So um, raw honey is often more expensive for that reason,
0: does it taste better? Is there a difference in taste between the same honey that's raw versus? The same honey, had it been pasteurised?
1: I believe so, yes. I believe a bit like with um, coffee, and certainly our beekeepers are passionate about this, they would say that if you overheat the honey, you um, you kill a lot of the, the secondary notes of honey. Honey sort of develops in the mouth. Again, to use a wine analogy, a bit like a wine would, especially when you hold it in the mouth and it warms, you get lots of different notes. When you've heated it, you get one note, and that tends to be just sort of sweetness with quite a heavy bash of whatever. The flour that it's coming from is, but that's it. Uh, so it's quite singular. Um, it's not necessarily a problem, you know. Frankly, if you're cooking with honey, it matters not whether it's raw or already heated. Um, it's, it's not a problem at all. It's just that when you are heating it, it goes very thin and very runny. So it's more like a water when it's very hot. And therefore, you can bottle industrially. So if you've got so a, tons squeeze of a bottle
0: of, it. of runny honey. Mm.
1: Yes, is.
0: <laughs> mm, yes, mm. she says with, with quite the look in her eye, listeners. Yes, <laughs> sorry, yes,
1: I've been indoctrinated also by our lovely beekeepers who
0: are passionate about these things. So, which obviously is pasteurised, and, is. Uh, and, that, and yes. that's helping it be runny. Yes, but beyond it, the simple fact of it being pasteurised. Making a difference. What else is a difference for those kind of? I keep using the word industrialised. Is that even the right word in this context?
1: Well, I suppose more, more because there's a there's a a benchmark of industrialised. So some, you know, the stuff in the supermarkets is absolutely fine. It's been pasteurised. Um, it's highly likely to, to be pasteurised. Just to say, some supermarkets are introducing raw or unpasteurised, but it's rare. So assume unless it says so explicitly, that's pasteurised. And essentially, the pasteurisation process not only helps with the bottling as the heating up, making it super runny. But it kills all the good things about the honey. So honey, as I said, is alive with bacterias, um, enzymes, vitamins, minerals that make it good for you. It's also that antiseptic quality and that um, natural preservative quality. And sadly, when you heat it to high temperatures that make it bottleable easily, you lose all yeah. of those other benefits, yeah. basically. So you have a very
0: perfectly safe um, alternative form of sugar. If Sam, I feel like you're backtracking on my question, I- the look in your, the glint in your sh- eye when we are talking about those bottles of squeezy honey. I feel we have to go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> why did you look like that in all seriousness? Uh, why why is that an issue for you? I suppose, well, because I associate those bottles of
1: squeezy honey with your local convenience store. You know, your local uh, news agent that might be open literally seven days a week, uh, 24 hours a day, and they're about, you know, a pound, two pounds of squeezy bottle honey. Fine, go for it. It's sadly quite often, um, so there's two things going on there. Quite often the honey has been imported from different places around the world um, and it may all be wildflower honey in, in various tonne buckets, say, but it could be some from Turkey, could be some from China, could be some from Spain, um, and it's all bought together in bulk. Um, but those honeys will have not only different flavours from different flowers but different viscosities potentially, uh, different colours. And obviously if you're trying to create, um, let's say, 100,000 bottles of squeezy honey because they're going out across the UK or across Europe to lots of different places that will then sell them, you want to create a consistent product. They've all but got to be the same, haven't they? They've all got to look the same. So having different colours and different batches Tastes is the same, smell the same. the same, squeeze out the same. Exactly. All of that sameness. So you're creating homogeneity. And I suppose honey, like any natural product, has huge variance. Um, and so many batches do look the same, but you can get variance within the same batch. Sometimes within the same hive, you will have a frame of honey it's the same flowers so it's the bees doing the same thing but it will look quite different from another frame within that same hive um, and so you know when you're looking precisely at profit it's much much cheaper to take several vats of honey because you just need honey and it all says wildflower so it must just sort of be the same right um, heat that all up into one giant blend and then trickle that light water very fast rate and you can bottle and ship in a matter of hours rather than a matter of days, if not weeks. Um, And that makes it much more cost effective. Um, You've also then definitely killed anything that might be in the honey. So if you've not got the most rigorous of producers who are perhaps not producing great quality, if you're worried about infection because you don't know where it's coming from. um, And again, whilst honey is antibacterial um, and antiseptic, Clearly with food and big producers will always err on the side of caution and heat is a great appliance, a way of sterilising effectively. So it's absolutely fine if you know that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So if you're cooking with it, it's a really good point, Miss
0: I often feel that about these conversations around food. It's about the customer, the cook, all of us just knowing what it is. And yes. if you know what it is and that's your choice, cool and groovy. Totally. And also you know, the sheer fact of having choice isn't to be assumed. No, but it's the thing; of, it's the misinformation or lack of information. I think is a problem. Yes,
1: it makes it makes me cross when it but it's purported to be healthy. Um, and I think when it's considered, especially when it's sold alongside, you know, oh, it's cold season, it's cough season. You know, hot hot honey and and lemon is um, an old kind of. Um, Home remedy, if you will, and very effective. But when you're selling
0: just liquid jars of sugar, um, and you know, lovely that's as they such are, a, do you know, I hadn't even really put that together. Oh, thinking, yeah, you, know, you make a hot toddy or something. You, you know, I'm going to fess up slightly nervously that I do have a squeeze. <laughs> <laughs> Squeeze bottle of oh, along fine. with loads of yours, yes. obviously. Yes, no, no. But if I was just doing like a hot water thing, yes. I would think I'm not going to, you know, waste in the Vorticamas, Sam's one. funny, yeah. I'm going to get my little squeezy bottle out. Mm. But that's just sweet water, isn't it? Yes, and, and that's going to make you feel great. Don't get me yeah. wrong, it tastes great. You know, it's fine,
1: more than fine. But I suppose if you're thinking ah, this will have the healing properties that I need for um in my f- inflamed throat and the extra um, immune support that will help me get over this cold. Sadly, no. It'll give you a little bit of a sugar buzz, which is wonderful, and probably what you need as well. But it will not give you that extra oomph, I suppose. Um,
0: Do you think in a blind taste test of your honeys, other raw honeys and Keeps using the same phrase, so let's carry on with it. The squeezy bottle, honey. Would you be able to pick it out? I like to think so.
1: Yes, I would. I'd like to think so. I mean, honey tastes gorgeous, but I think there is. Oh, and again, I don't want to sound too biased, especially as I frankly was um, a very much the person who was like, "Oh, there's only one flavour of honey." Thank you very much. uh, When we started, or before we started. But I think it's just such a different world of flavour. So I think even people who don't particularly like honey or are a bit like me, you know, sort of, oh, well, it's there and that's fine and, and it's nothing for me really, will be surprised. And that's certainly what people say to us a lot in the shop is, oh, I just did not realise the extent of flavour that you can get, the fullness of flavour um, and some of the complexities that you can get in in a good honey uh, that is uh, unpasteurised or, or not the squeezy tube type. Um, but as I say, that is only really better with the air side, you know, the air fingers of quote fingers of better, if that's what works for you. Um, because as I say, if you're just, you know, trying to sweeten your hot porridge and you want to get out the door in five minutes flat, waiting for your porridge to be, you know, just right, like Goldilocks, for you to add your honey and not cook it um, and keep all those wonderful flavours, you know, it's not necessarily for every
0: day, basically. So it's so for the kind of lovely way to start your day, to mm. be able to get all of your jars out and just do a little kind of, you know, spooning onto it's oh, yes. a real kind of feel good. Gonna give me just talking about, you know, information to people and helping people understand yes. what it is they're buying. There's a few other kind of, few other honey related bee related mm. things which I just like qu- slightly quick fire. What are they and? what would one do with them okay so you mentioned one already honeycomb
1: yes well honeycomb so honeycomb there's two types one that often people think is the is the sugar honeycomb that comes in a crunchy bar for example and that's the made um, honeycomb which I think is a reaction you'll know this of sugar and baking soda or so baking not butter. that your honeycomb 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 the traditional stuff uh, which comes from the hive it's essentially what the bees the bees have created a wax that makes the honeycomb shape the hexagonal shape that we all know and that is stuffed with honey when beekeepers are selling the honeycomb they are literally cutting from the frame that has been sitting in the beehive a square or section of honeycomb and that lifts straight out um, a bit like you're cutting a block of cheese or something like that but you've got some lovely unctuous runny honey as well and effectively that's usually just boxed up or eaten straight with a spoon so with that stuff you can have it on porridge, yoghurt, toast. You mentioned cheese earlier. Cheeses, oh with honeycomb and cheeses because you've got the texture of the honeycomb which is chewy and waxy, quite delicate so you can chew it and eat it and swallow it, it doesn't hurt you at all or if you're eating it by itself and you find it too waxy then you can just spit it out but you in theory eat the whole thing and with cheeses or with hot buttered toast it is food of the like the gods it's a very simple pleasure uh, but i find it it really connects you back with just again where this product comes from and how special it is and we actually sell it at borough market and i've started giving people um tasting spoons so that they can eat it while they're going around because some people with their kids wanted to have a taste and you go oh well here take some spoons and now we have um people who come and and eat it a bit like a snack as they're going around
0: So
1: yeah um okay next one Bee pollen. So bee pollen um, effectively is not from the bees, um, it's from the flowers. So it's essentially the what bee pollen is, is the pollen that bees are picking up from the flowers as they're going about their normal foraging. Um, but that doesn't make it uh, into the hive and into the honeycomb to be processed by the bees. It's actually... Um, caught by the beekeepers and they do that by trapping uh, the bees um, entrance so when bees are going into their hive um, they've usually got lots and lots of, hun- uh, of pollen Sorry, uh, stuck to their legs stuck to their bodies um, and they take that into the hive and go on to produce honey with it when the season is um, done and the hives are very full and we know that the bees have got enough, the beekeepers put a little trap over the hive that knocks off the excess pollen from the bees' bodies, which means they keep the stuff on their leg panniers, as they're called, their little sort of pollen baskets that you might have seen um, a bee with before. But the excess gets knocked into a trap That's collected every couple of days and it's dried and that's essentially what bee pollen is, but it's the flower. So it's all different flowers. Usually it's wild flowers. So the flavours of the pollen within a jar of bee pollen can vary greatly. What would I do
0: with that? I buy my
1: bee pollen, what am I doing with it? Well, um, I would say recently it's become very fashionable as a sort of garnish or somewhat chefy ingredient. So it's kind of really taken off, um, I guess, in certain places as a garnish for dessert. So imagine it's sprinkled on top of a cheesecake or a pavlova or something like that because pollen is very floral. It's delicately sweet. So it's like having literally the taste of the flower uh, rather than the honey. It hasn't got honey sweetness um, and it dissolves on contact with moisture. So it leaves um, little colourful, what my beekeeper calls meteorite trails, basically. Little little snail trails, if you will. It's not quite as appealing. Um, But it's um, very sweet and delicate. And then other places use it as an additive to cocktails. Botanical cocktails are a big thing. So trying to get that kind of essence of flour um, has become a thing. We used to have a bar in Mayfair that made cocktails with it. Otherwise, it's um, traditionally used as a health tonic. But I would say with people who want to use it for health, which is immune system, joints things like that it's like a supplement you have to take it every day a little bit um otherwise it doesn't work in that way so again there's no quick fixes with
0: honey and pollen and things like that but i'm so glad i asked you about the bee pollen I yeah because I, mean, I don't have it now. i'm going to get some now and think about putting it on you know garnish for like cheesecake with it just beautiful. finishes off a dish it's really nice and last one which i'm slightly embarrassed about because i don't know how to say it mm. Propolis? Ah, uh, yeah. Pro- pro- how do we say it? Propolis. Propolis is yes. what I said, I think.
1: Yeah, well, close <laughs> enough. Close <laughs> enough. Propolis. Well, okay, so propolis is a mixture of um, plant sap and tree sap, uh, plant nectar and the bees' own enzymes, basically, so stomach a mix of plant sap or tree saps nectars from the flowers and the bees own enzymes own digestive juices effectively and it makes a kind of sticky black paste and the bees in the hive traditionally use that for um, sealing off areas that they might want to maintain for cleanness or that have some kind of contaminant in propolis is highly antiseptic it's known as nature's um, antibiotic um, so it sterilizes and and kills basically bacteria so traditionally bees will use it to um, say they've had a wasp intrude in the um, hive wasps can be quite dangerous for bees quite intrusive the bees may well have seen off the threat and, and killed the wasp but they can't then drag that wasp out of their hive because the entrance is too small and uh, they are quite small bees are quite strong but again they work in groups so what they will do is seal that wasp up in a tomb of propolis effectively which seals to like a waxy dark finish and that seals it off entirely and it's a bit like being in an egyptian tomb or a carcophagus it's completely sealed
0: slightly mind-blowing stuff yes it's incredible yes
1: it's and it's very sticky and waxy so you can get it essentially in two forms that kind of waxy sticky form and in certain places especially in places like south america parts of brazil you chew propolis quite a lot actively um mainly for health um, and partly as a, I guess, just as a thing that you chew, you know, as a kind of relaxant,
0: um, so as a how natural relaxant. So how is it? Relaxant. How? Because extracted, that's probably not the right word. How do we get it? How does, that, how does well, the beekeeper get it?
1: So the beekeeper gets it in the waxy form. To be perfectly honest, I don't, our beekeeper gives gets, gets it to us, but we have it in a liquid form. Okay. I don't know how, I know that they mix it with water to make it a liquid form um, because that's easier for us. As humans to use, basically, um, but how they get it exactly from the bees, I have to say, I don't know. I know that the bees produce it naturally, um, but how that they go and do that at that time. But this is
0: a. More of a medicinal thing than a culinary thing. Yes,
1: yes, I would say um, propolis traditionally used for things like ulcers, dental pain. Um, it's really good if you have um, any kind of ulcer or laceration, you know, especially in the in the mouth, um, because it's antiseptic and it sterilizes everything, and it's anti-inflammatory, which is why it's called nature's antibiotic. Um, but it means that taste-wise, I suppose it tastes. Well, it's a bit weird to say, but planty. It tastes slightly planty and slightly, if you've ever had our chestnut honey, like the chestnut honey in that it's quite um, sort of grassy, yes, woody, slightly natural flavours. It's not particularly strong. Um, It's not particularly sweet either it's it's um, a funny flavor we tend to use it I use it mainly as a kind of supplement right. for my health effectively so when I'm taking my pollen every day I put a little squirt of propolis in especially if I'm busy right. um, and that just I like to think keeps me going but I do it as part of a kind of a routine effectively right. but most people buy it um, either for that kind of ongoing health benefit where they have a little every day or usually something to do with mouth ulcers right. dental
0: pain that kind kind of thing so fascinating and i think what i'm glad i asked you these like a few little things towards the end because i think you have just shown i think what everyone listening to this probably already you just how blooming clever bees are they are
1: they are fascinating their societies are incredible they are um, essentially one of the only animals that makes more food than it needs so it's so successful um, and they make more food than they need which is why they're able to go off and swarm um, or colonize and why they're so successful Um, because they are all whilst they're all individual bees they are totally focused on the success of the hive in its entirety so there's this sort of hive mind if you will um, and that is all about every single bee um, I suppose similar to ants it's it's about the bigger picture so it's about contributing to the whole rather than the bee as individual moral
0: for us all somewhere oh, there. completely and they work very
1: hard I mean there's I think at peak time in the summer there can be about 80,000 bees in a hive and then by the winter, when they're coming to sleep, I guess it depends on the hive, but anywhere between 30,000 and, say, 20,000 bees on average. Mm. It does depend. But, yeah, much less in winter for obvious reasons. Slightly random question as mm. we really get towards the end. Um, roughly how long do bees live? Ooh, so bees, I would say, live, the queen lives for longer, so can live for several years. But most bees have a life cycle of about, I think it's about six weeks, and they go through different jobs at that point. So, so bees will often start as um, infant bees coming and are hatched and will clean up the, their nursery, if you will, where they, and they'll be kind of hive bees. Then they might move to being foragers or gate watcher ge- bees who guard the entrance to the hive. Um, but they'll go through different roles throughout their life. And And then sadly, eventually, once they have um, contributed. All in six weeks? In about six weeks, yeah. I might be, I need to probably check that. No, no, but you know,
0: no one's going to hold you to it. But I think it's
1: six weeks um, because you also have mainly female bees in a hive. So the predominant um, of bees in a hive are female. There are a few male bees, but they don't have much of a role beyond um, mating with a queen and creating, you know, a new hive effectively. And um, once that they've Done that job, they are um, excluded um, effectively from the hive um, and sadly often die once they've mated. It's a natural reaction. So once they've mated with the queen, they are no longer of purpose and they tend to. Die, and the ones that haven't mated but survive um, are often uh, found and kicked out by the remaining bees in the winter because they don't forage; they don't do anything useful, and so they, um, uh, from a hive's perspective, they are effectively sapping the energy of the hive, which is important for winter
0: to keep like them a bit all of a alive. To end on that, but I think we have to. Oh, well, it's yeah. <laughs> an
1: interesting reflection, isn't it? It's a it's a matriarchal society, yeah. shall we say, um, completely dominated by the queen, and um, all bees' lives are in service to that queen and to the the, um, prosperity of that hive but yes 80 to 90 percent of of bees in the hive are uh, female at any one time
0: and that goes up obviously um, at certain points of the year. Sam, absolutely fascinating to talk to you. I think at minimum, anyone you know, listening to this will just be desperate to get down to Field and & Flower and hear even more <laughs> of your wonderful honey and bee stories. I could go on for ages, Oh my God, as you I can't can tell. believe I've got to wrap you up. I feel like we need to get you back <laughs> and do more and more. I, in some ways, I feel like we've only really kind of you know, touched the top of this. Yes, yes. There's so much to kind of get into. Um, so please, you know, folks, get yourselves to Field & Flower. Find out more. Try the honeys. Use them. I you know. I, adore your honeys, Sam, and it's you. such an exciting stall to be in. Um huge thanks for joining us today. Thank you. One, one last question, quick one, quick of question. course your favourite honey. Hang <sighs> on, okay, awful question. Oh, I really hate that question. I know. Sorry. Um,
1: and I am biased because I do like all of ours, but I have to say at the moment I'm torn between two. Okay. One is from Australia. It's a Tasmanian leatherwood um, honey. It's um, just like nothing I've ever tasted from here in Europe. So it's the other side of the world. It's from Western Tasmania. It's made in um, the rainforests of Western Tasmania. Um, leatherwood, I guess, if you've ever had something like a eucalyptus honey, um, is, is most similar to that whilst not being quickly. similar at all. Oh, heather honey. Oh, nice. Heather pressed honey with the comb and the um, the wax inside. It's very gelatinous. Very rich flavour, just again incredible. Um, Really,
0: yeah, you wouldn't think they were honeys; just amazing. To look out for that, folks. Um, Sam, thank you so much for what I suspect is part one of our (laughs) conversation (laughs) for Borough Talks about honey. But an absolute joy to see you ever. Um, And thank you all uh, for listening and joining us on Borough Talks. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back with more Borough Talks soon. A reminder that Borough Market is now open seven days a week. For those who can't make it down here, you can still enjoy the best of Borough at Borough Market online with nationwide delivery. You can head to our website for more information, subscribe to our newsletter. There are lots of recipes and features on the Borough Market traders.